0: Welcome to Better With Becky. I am Meg, and we have a very special episode this week. We did a climate fireside chat with Logan Mitchell and Tom Moyer. Tom is a robotics engineer and climate activist. He is the state coordinator for the Utah Citizens Climate Lobby and a leader in Climate Utah, which lobbies the Utah legislature. Tom was a driving force behind the 2018 Environmental and Economic Stewardship Resolution, which passed both houses of the Utah legislature and was signed by the governor this year. Tom and his wife, Lauren Live in the net zero house they built in Park City. Logan is an atmospheric scientist at the University of Utah
1: researching air quality and GHC emissions. Logan is leading the collaborative effort to track spatial temporal patterns of greenhouse gases and air pollutants across Salt Lake City. Enjoy.
0: and welcome to our very first Climate Fireside Chat. I'm Becky Edwards, and I'm running to unseat Mike Lee in the U.S. Senate. I'm pleased to be joined tonight by Tom Moyer and Logan Mitchell. Tom, Logan, please take a minute to introduce yourselves.
2: I'm Tom Moyer. I am, uh, in my volunteer capacity, I'm the State Coordinator for Citizens Climate Lobby, uh, which is a non uh, nonpartisan, nonprofit profit uh, Citizens Lobby a lobbying group. In my professional life, I'm a robotics engineer, and I do mostly military explosive ordnance disposal robotics.
0: That's
1: awesome. And I'm I'm Logan Mitchell. Um, for my day job, I actually study air quality and climate change at the University of Utah. We uh, put instruments on top of tracks, trains, and, and measure air quality across the city and try to understand, um, you know, how... Air pollution is distributed, and 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 how we can find solutions. Um, I'm also a volunteer and and help out as a as a science communicator for Citizens Climate Lobby, and and just try to you know, make sure that our uh, the public and stakeholders and policymakers understand the the science and and kind of solutions to move forward.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here. I really respect your expertise and your involvement in this issue through the years. It's been awesome. Uh, While I was serving in the Utah House for 10 years, climate was a top priority for me and will continue to be a top priority for me in the U.S. Senate. Um, I have invited the two of you to join me tonight for a conversation and to kind of discuss some of the nitty-gritty about climate policy, climate change, and to share your experiences as climate activists and climate influencers. So thank you so much for being here. Uh, let's just jump into a conversation. I'm ready for you to hit me with with a question and uh, that we can discuss together. Who wants to go first? Maybe I'll
1: start first. Um... I'm just curious to hear your your perspective on a lot of the climate impacts that we're seeing you know this year in Utah we're seeing you know huge impacts from wildfire smoke the drought um, what are your some of your thoughts about that and and some of the impacts that Utahs are feeling today?
0: you know I think for a long time uh, climate change was something that did not feel personal to the people of Utah, to many people. For, for many of us, it has been something we're aware of and deeply concerned about. But for many people, this, this summer seems like kind of a pivot point for a lot of folks. They're seeing wildfires repeatedly, uh, hundreds of people every, every year having wildfires basically encroach upon their back, back doors of their homes and their neighborhoods. We're seeing flooding like we've we've not seen before we've seen people go out to the great salt lake and notice kind of for anew this is not the great salt lake of yesteryear this is not the great salt lake of literally even last year and this these are issues that you start to people are starting to put the puzzle pieces together and realize oh let's actually trust science, let's trust what we're seeing, and let's put those things together and see that we actually are experiencing right now in real life climate change. And it's impacting uh, so many people across across our state. And of course, air quality is something that we've had really top of mind in the state of Utah for a long time. But uh, I think climate change is something that is uh, just beginning to be be something that a lot of people who maybe have been hesitant or not aware, they're seeing it this summer in real life.
1: Yeah, and it's really interesting because the the drought that we're experiencing now, it's, you know, looking at tree ring records, it's one of the worst droughts in 1,200 years. It's really of historical, um, almost geological magnitude. And it really hit home personally to me earlier this year when the utah department of of wildlife um, let people know that some of our as our reservoirs are drying up that they're gonna be lifting fish catch limits because all the fish are gonna die in the reservoir and i i really enjoy fishing and so it kind of hit home at a, at a really different level other than the kind of a you know abstract scientific concept this is this is affecting our ecosystem in so many different ways
0: yeah, I,
1: I was
2: one of the people who uh, was evacuated this summer from the Parleys Canyon Fire. We were out of our house for three days.
0: Yeah, and that's awfully scary, isn't it? I mean, you're you're sort of watching it uh, from from afar and thinking, where my my daughter was uh, had her street evacuated last year in Bountiful, actually, and this is this is not an area that has has typically been. Uh, encroached upon by those type of extreme weather circumstances. And, and it's, it's real. It's something that we, we've got to take seriously. And quite honestly, for Republicans to be in this space is incredibly important. This is, this is something that um, is not a partisan issue and I, I feel very strongly about that and the work that, that I did a, along with Citizens Climate Lobby and many others when I served in the Utah House with the with HCR 007 was an example of what can actually happen when uh, you play the long game, you're patient in your approach, you work in a bipartisan way, and you actually move the needle forward. That, that I think, has to happen over and over and over again on an air on an issue with of this magnitude
2: so glad to hear you say that i did want to ask a little more about hcr 007 um that was historic in the state it was historic in the country and uh i wanted to hear a little more about how you brought people on board because that was such a heavy lift to bring people together on that
0: you know it was so this is a a piece of legislation that I passed in 2018. It was my last legislative session and it was a resolution. It was the first piece of legislation to pass in a red state acknowledging climate change in the entire nation. And it was a great pleasure and privilege of mine to work with this incredible group of students who I first met in 2017 when they had brought a piece of um, language forward to be heard in a committee and, and they were working with the Senate sponsor at the time. Bill did not even receive an opportunity for a committee hearing. But the students had a hearing where they presented their, their thoughts. And I went and I listened and I was so incredibly impressed by the, um, the personal nature of this issue for them. And I went up to them at the, at, at the end and I said, hey, would you mind if we work together on this? I'd love to see what we could do. Over the next 10 months, before the next legislative session, let's work together. And they said, sure, let's see what we can do. So we worked on some language. We had to make some revisions because this is a a Republican state. And so we, we knew that we needed to sort of make it be as, had the greatest potential that it could to pass. And then I started to shop the bill around, and I started with the people that I knew would probably dislike it the most. And I sat down with those individuals, my fellow uh, legislators, and I'd say, "Let's walk through this language word by word. Tell me what you don't like. Where are we where have we missed it? What have we what have we gotten wrong? What else do we need to add? What are your concerns?" And I did that over and over. And while I was doing that, the students were doing that as well. They had this amazing network of fellow students, high school and college students from around the state who were also advocating with their local House and Senate uh, members. And the very first person I talked to was a, a representative from a rural community. And he said, well, I can't support this at all. And I said, why not? I mean, we'd barely even started to read it. And he said, well, the, the title right there says climate change. That's not real. And I said, well, let's actually talk about this because look at this science. And he's a scientist by by profession. I said, let's just look at some of these things and look at all this. And he said, well, yeah, the is there, but but that's not climate change. That's just changing climate. I'm like, oh, so if we call it changing climate, that would be okay. He said yeah. And I'm like, done. We can do that. And so over and over we went through and we took out the issues that were hot buttons and we kept the integrity of the piece of legislation such that by the time we got to the legislative session in 2018, we had developed not only support, but co-sponsors, bipartisan co-sponsors from uh, rural and urban areas throughout the state. It was remarkable. It passed out of the House committee and off the House floor, went to the Senate committee, the very same committee they could not even get a hearing in, in 2017, passed out unanimously. With these, I hardly had to even do a presentation because the students were amazing. And they'd been working with CCL and uh, teachers up in Logan to, to really have this perfect civility and um the approach was so so beautiful it was actually really like perfection to watch this and when it passed off out of the senate uh, it was the very next day the phone started to ring cnn new york times wall street journal uh and other states texas alabama all calling and saying what just happened in utah how did that happen? How can we make this happen in our state? And I'm talking to folks from Texas and saying, well, if you have a rock star group of about 15 or 20 high school kids, I think you have a chance. But the point was that we we worked with each other. We took the sort of demonization out of it, and we just actually talked to each other over and over. We had an amazing event the first week of the legislative session in 2018. And at this time, Mia Love was serving as our Congresswoman from Utah. And of course she had been a member of the House Climate Solutions Caucus. And so she created a a video at the beginning of this event and was sort of like a kickoff and we invited all the legislators there. And at each table where legislators sat, we had students and young people from their communities, from their districts there. And the conversations just took place and it was amazing to see relationships build understanding going both ways understanding where people were coming from and when that piece of legislation passed uh we knew it was important we knew it would be impactful but i don't think we understood really how much of a foundation that it would play as the utah uh one utah roadmap for climate and and air quality ended up rolling forward in the subsequent years that's that's an integral part to the foundation of that and so what it taught me was important things uh are worth the time it takes to pass them number one number two never let people tell you that one party or one person doesn't uh deserve a seat at the table or that's not part of what a republican does not true you 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 do not you don't stay away from issues because they're complex or they're hard or, or they might be impossible, you just work harder to get it done. And I, that was a really, really uh, important uh, year in my, in my legislative experience. And of course, uh, Tom, you were right there throughout the whole thing. And it was, it was really awesome to see sort of the orchestration of all of these stakeholders and community members and advocates, and of course, the students all working together it was awesome.
2: Uh, that bill took a lot of people all pulling in the same direction to happen. To yes, definitely rockstar students, definitely having the right sponsor for that. Something, something that really stood out to me, I was dying at the time, but uh, it's fascinating now to me that it got the votes of most of the Republicans in the House, not all, and all the Democrats in the House. In the Senate, it got the votes of all of the Republicans and not all of the Democrats. So to me, that's getting it just—it's getting the politics just about right.
0: Yeah, I—I I think you—you never want to uh, to have something that is unilaterally supported because it says you haven't worked hard enough to listen to the other side. And there's just enough uh, work left to do uh, with the follow-up to HCR 007, as as there should be. And this is this is, you know, work that that I hope to be able to do in the in the U.S. Senate. And as the two of you look at this issue and you look at policies going forward uh, from a national standpoint, what do you think the what do you think the issues are, um, your thoughts on on where the biggest opportunities to make movement are on the federal level?
2: So the politics of this are getting really interesting now in the Republican Party. For a long time, there were not very many Republicans taking this on. And we now have two of the leaders uh, nationally on this topic in John Curtis and Mitt Romney. John Curtis founded the, the Conservative Climate Caucus, and he brought a bunch of people into Utah. We just heard him talk about this earlier today. They were hoping for a half a dozen, to attend and they ended up getting something like 24. And then when he founded the caucus, again he was hoping for a dozen or two. And now I think they're up to about 80. So this is clearly becoming a topic that the Republican Party is choosing to take on. That's that's about a third of the members of the, of the Republican members of the US House now, including all four of the House members from Utah. So they're just, they don't know yet. Uh, really what policies they're going to support. They're starting to lay out that framework now. But I am really excited to have both parties engaged in actual policymaking on the topic.
0: Yeah, I, I think so, too. And I think we as we look back even even five years ago, it would be pretty remarkable to think, because remember that the the Climate Solutions Caucus started in the House and sat in the House Alone, there we did not have a Senate Climate Solutions Caucus, and we didn't have this conservative climate solutions, the the John Curtis effort. We didn't have that either, even five years ago. And we were not having conversations around things like uh, policies, like carbon pricing and other market-driven solutions. These were these were not not happening. And it's now as as we're going around the state uh, with the campaign. You know we're out in the Uinta Basin. We're in rural parts of the of the state, uh, San Pete County, in the Washington County, other places, and and we're hearing people from within within the industry as well as as others, just community members who are really um, anxious to see uh, an energy future for our state that includes a diverse portfolio. That uh, is sustainable, both for our state and helps us be relevant in, in a national setting. This is this is something people want to see, and and they're looking, even folks within the industry, as as they should and as they have done before, looking at ways they can innovate and use technology to do to do things better and smarter and and more um, more in a more sustainable way.
1: and and this topic is you know one of the things about it is it it can feel so big and so such a enormous challenge to solve and and some people get they feel kind of um hopeless at times it feels like an impossible thing to 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 solve and one of my one of my personal heroes is dr catherine hayhoe she's a climate scientist and a great communicator She's an evangelical, and she talks very eloquently about the intersection between science and and her faith. Um, but one of the things she's really has been saying recently that's really struck struck me is that hope comes from action, not the other way around. And so, you know, if you're feeling hopeless, the best thing to do is to take a step. To take, you know, call your call your representatives. Um, Get involved with your church on making making your church more energy efficient. Take one step and that taking that step will will help um, give you hope for the future. And and so that's why it's so exciting to see Republicans coming to this conversation and and hopefully coming up with ideas because those are little steps of action that can give all of us hope and give people from across the political spectrum uh, buy-in for the solutions.
0: I I agree. And I've heard Catherine Hayhoe speak when she came to Salt Lake. It maybe was five or six years ago now. And and she was incredibly inspirational and using, uh, of course, you know, her her evangelical faith tradition and relating that to some of the faith traditions here in our state uh, across the faith spectrum, but using environmental stewardship as something that people can feel connected to in their in their sort of souls. And then with that as a framework, finding small things that that people can do in their own personal lives, and engaging with groups that that reflect a type of uh, approach to policymaking, that um, number one is effective. I think that's the key. Is does does this group do these people do these policies move the needle forward in a positive way? Can we have positive kinds of conversations even uh, as we're as we're trying to hammer out what what policies should look like? And I love that. I love taking. Uh, climate change uh, away from sort of this binary choice that for a long time, it felt like we had, we, we either, you were either a believer or you were a non-believer. And even that type of language was very uh, religious in nature. You know, you either you're, it's either yes or no. And when in fact it is, it's so, it's so nuanced and it is not all doom and gloom at this point there are many things that are actually exciting that that are being talked about for the for uh maybe the first time in in this level of seriousness that can really make a difference and um you know the innovations on clean energy and on carbon pricing do of course i can talk about what carbon pricing means from a policy standpoint i'd love to hear one of you talk about this kind of from the science part of it, but this is just in general, this is kind of high level version of what carbon pricing is. And we hear we hear um, members of the the Senate and House uh, climate solutions caucus talk about this. And and the Baker Schultz plan is also addressing this as well. But it's market driven solution that puts a fee on carbon emissions And then returns all that money to the American people in the form of a dividend, a dividend check. And it's something that I strongly support. And in fact, there was a a letter to the editor in this summer that had a bunch of signatories on it from Utah. Uh, Some federal delegations, some many, many state uh, legislators were signed on as as supporters for. Looking into carbon pricing and seeing that this was a way to keep American businesses competitive and ensure that we, we don't export our emissions from other states, and that that something called a border adjustment for carbon emissions coming into our country um, is is put into place as well. Who could talk about sort of this the science and the history of how we how we have gotten to this place with? carbon pricing, because I feel like this is the, this is the first, um, maybe the most significant thing that, that I think could, could really happen in the, kind of on the cusp right now.
2: Logan, do you want to talk about the science at all?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm an atmospheric scientist. I'm not an economist, but I read other fields of science and I, and I know how to read that those fields of science and, um, and it's just really clear. Economists agree this is the most effective uh, way to to leverage the economy. You're leveraging a huge section of emissions rather than you know, and rather than the government picking winners and losers, the the free market is very very good at that, and and it's very efficient, and it's it's actually one of the fastest ways to address climate change. And you know, climate change is, you know, it's it's getting as our emissions. Uh, increase every year or, or don't decrease, you know, the, the climate impacts are getting worse. And so we need something that can act fast, not something that's going to take five years to, to put in be put in place and, you know, go through a million lawsuits. You know, we need something that can go, it be put in place and, and send a bar- market signal so that all the businesses can plan for it and say, you know, where are we going to make our investments so that we're coming out ahead in a world that has a, that's putting a fee on this on this pollution. And, and so it's it's really clear from the science that this is the most effective and the fastest way to go. It doesn't mean that we don't need other climate policies. There are lots of other things we could be doing in addition. But that's a great thing about carbon pricing is it's not exclusive of other policies. It's just a really effective uh, way to get a the biggest chunk of emissions, um, you know, to curtail the biggest chunk of emissions very soon
0: and just I'm, I'm a big fan of
2: that because uh it it aligns the financial incentives for the private sector i vastly prefer to let the private sector make do the decision making right rather than having government be the deciders on the, on these kinds of things but it's very hard to ask the private sector to do that when there's no profit incentive in it it's hard to ask private businesses to voluntarily lose money to run a cleaner operation so this just aligns the incentives, so they don't have to lose money to do that.
0: Yeah. And in theory, the dividend checks that come to the American people can be, I mean, they can be used for anything, but, but the, the hope is that, and the assumption that many people will use those dollars to um, do, you know, do things that they can to continue to support these same kinds of efforts on a personal level. They can buy, you know, um, a, a different type of vehicle or things that can help in their in their home, whether that's a water heater or uh, whatever. Whatever things could help them sort of be contributors to a cleaner uh, economy as well. And and I, I think that's a really that's a really nice thing, too. There's
1: yeah.
2: it just decisions that at every level of the economy. That, that
1: get made on these grounds so yeah everybody looks at you know what what's what's this water heater going to cost me over the next 10 years or 15 years you know and if you have a carbon price that you know if it's if it's using you know a fossil fuel then it's going to be a little bit more expensive it's, if it's electricity it's going to be a little bit cheaper and what's really exciting to me is in the last decade there's been just this massive massive breakthrough in in technology and clean energy technologies, it has really changed the game. Um, Electricity, clean uh, production electricity is so much cheaper. Um, Electric vehicles are coming down in price. And this is a historic, we are, I believe we're in the middle um, of a global economic and energy transition. And and really, the U.S. has an amazing capability and, and Utah has amazing capability as innovators to invent and deploy the next generation of, of our energy. And really it's, it's our opportunity to lose if we, if we don't um, take a leadership role and incentivize the, the free market to come up with these solutions, then those inventions and that production capacity, that's gonna go, um, you know, really the question we should be asking ourselves is: is that production and innovation gonna happen here in Utah Or is it gonna happen in California, which would be okay, it's still in the US. Or is it gonna happen in Germany or China or the Netherlands? And so that's really the way I see it. And I I want us to act as fast as possible so that we can capture that market share that's that's gonna be this new emerging market.
0: Right, because something like uh, this carbon dividends or sometimes called carbon tax or whatever, that, that actually has a tremendous opportunity to cut carbon emissions, some would say by, by half, and the jobs that it would create are, are really in the millions. I mean, this is, this is something that will be huge for, the, for our country. You know, you mentioned global. The impact of climate change globally is, is dramatic in a lot of ways. Um, my husband and I just returned from LDS Mission in January where we were in American Samoa. And of course, this is an island you know, nation in the middle of the South Pacific where many of the people who live in American Samoa have uh, relatives who are in other, other countries, island nations that are uh, probably going to be completely covered in water within the next 20 years. That is that's real. And even the island of American Samoa is losing three feet of uh, their coast every single year. I mean, it's it is it's real. This is an island that is basically mountainous. So 90 percent of the population lives right on the on the coast. And this is something that is going to displace not in not in that island, but people around the world. We're going to be seeing. Uh, climate refugees and the unrest that happens there so this is it's just the cascading effect of climate change for immigration for global economics for our military installations actually for a lot of a lot of these things that i think typically don't get considered when we think about climate in a, on a global scale they're real and we we're seeing this as members of a global economy now and as sort of members of of a humanitarian uh, looming crisis here with climate change, I think it's incumbent upon us to use the very best minds we can to, to innovate and to use the tools we have. So clean, the carbon pricing is is one of those. Another tool that I think is something that we can Uh, you know, talk about as well, tax credits, that that's can be a valuable tool as well in helping incentivize businesses to increase adoption of uh, renewable energy sources. A lot of great work is being done in the state of Utah on clean energy, renewable energy. And I've seen tax credits during my time in the legislature be used in Many ways, and I think speeding up that inevitable transition to a broader base of um, clean energy, again, within our our spectrum of energy portfolio here in the state, I think it just makes sense to use existing tax incentives and to look at that as an option as well throughout the state.
2: I wanted to to ask you a little bit about our rural communities. Um, We talked about the the rapid transition to clean energy. The economics of electricity have shifted dramatically in the last decade or so. Um, Coal is becoming less economic. Renewables and natural gas are becoming more. And uh, some of our energy, the energy producing areas of our state are already suffering economically. So in this transition that is already happening, how can we best take care of them in such a way that does not slow us down in, in switching to cleaner energy sources?
0: Well, thanks for that question, because I think we, we really want to make sure that our rural communities who are probably those who are going to be potentially hit, um, hardest as we, we expand our energy portfolio, to include more renewables, more clean energy, we wanna make sure that they're not left behind in, in terms of job opportunities and also what those communities look like in the future. And so, you know, the we'll put this on, on, on a link somewhere so people can read this, but the 2015 Envision Utah um, data showed that, that climate and clean ener- energy uh, is continually a top ten priority for Utahns, both rural and and urban, and that rural Utahns want a clean, affordable, and resilient energy supply. They understand that that things are are uh, moving. There is a there is a shift and a, a movement towards, as I said, an increasing diversity within the energy portfolio more than what we have, what we've been seeing over the past, you know, 50 years, that things are going to look different. And what in Utah, what we can do is we are, and people are doing this well, is they're using natural gas as a base power supply to keep costs reasonable as we're making transitions. And I think we can do more of that. We saw that actually in the, in the Uinta basin when we were out there maybe a month ago, um, we we saw land use being used in a in a unique way for renewables and also for natural gas wells. Uh, it's going to be it's tricky in a lot of places because it requires again a deep commitment to uh, not just environmental concerns but also land use. This is a time when really all voices need to come to the table and have these have these conversations. I was in a meeting uh, the other day with a with a county commissioner from a rural community who is where this community is deeply engaged in energy production. And that this uh, commissioner was talking about how, of course the, the exiting of his actually his own children who had left this this community they had grown up in. And had found jobs elsewhere because of the the future and the sort of dire situation that they're seeing in their their hometown and their county. And he was pleading with the this was a clean energy uh, conversation that I was part of, and he was pleading with people there saying, "Help me, help my community, help me, help my county." Basically we want to be part of this conversation we want to be part of the next wave of energy production but it has to be sustainable it has to you have to think of all of the pieces of this not just walking in with you know a wind farm or other clean energy what type of education goes into this in order to help people be prepared to work in that job sector and what type of other infrastructure is going to be required so whatever transitioning that we're hoping uh, happens we have to support our rural communities with the infrastructure education and other supports they need to first of all innovate from within their own industries second of all support the the broadening of energy portfolio within those communities and then have a long-term conversation about. How to keep them vibrant and relevant because we need them. We need those folks.
1: And the reality is, you know, a lot of the the clean energy production that's happening now is happening in red states. Red states are leading the way with um, with clean energy production. Wind and and solar are being deployed, you know, throughout the country. And it really points this up this opportunity. And you know, clean energy production. Uh, or energy production anywhere contributes to the tax base of the community. And so um, that's something that's really important to the, to the finances of the people that live there and to support um, you know, the tax base of, of where they live.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I just cannot express enough um, how much I appreciate the two of you being here this evening um, and participating in this conversation. Again, climate is an incredibly important issue for the future of our state. It has national implications and even global implications that we have just begun to touch upon. Um, it has been such a pleasure to talk to both of you. And I would love to share. have the two of you share um, what, where people could find you if they want to know more information, and uh, you know, I look forward to continuing to connect with you more throughout our campaign. I feel like we just scratched the surface. We need to talk more, so maybe we'll have like a, a revisit this in in the future. But thank you for taking time to be here tonight, and please tell people where they can find you, Logan. You you want to go first?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm on Twitter. It's uh, at Logan E Mitchell. And, and also I'm at the university, I I give talks fairly frequently. And um, just today, I uh, gave a talk to the the Utah Environmental Health Association on the history of air quality in Utah. And so, um, so I'm just around and, 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 uh, um, I guess there was, you know, there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of interest in air quality. And so there's frequently news stories Uh, Earlier this week, or maybe it was last week, there was a, there was an article about how air quality is affecting athletics. And so I was interviewed in that as well. So that's where you can find me. Awesome.
2: And uh, you can get information on Citizens Climate Lobby at citizensclimatelobby.org. And I'm also on Twitter. It's the only social media I do. It's at U T. And hope to continue the conversation.
0: Yeah, this would be great. I. I would really encourage uh, listeners to, to reach out and start to just follow. You know, Logan, you mentioned that one of the acts of uh, the people can do to avoid despair and sort of the gloom and doom that sometimes is associated with, with feeling like climate change and, and what does this really mean for us? One of those things is to actually act and, and something really easy people can do is to just begin to follow some trusted voices on this issue and i i just want to give uh both of you my high recommendation for for listeners to 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 actually trust the science that is behind what what the two of you are engaged with and how how much even just that simple act i think can really begin to feel empowering for people to know that that good things are happening, and and that there are a lot of groups in the in the community for people to to join and participate in. Uh, you know, listening to something like this or other podcasts or joining community groups who are uh, kind of aligned around climate or clean air, um, I think can provide a lot of support and encouragement for people around this issue. So. Thank you again so much for being with us, and I appreciate all you do. Keep up the good work, and let's let's have part two uh, of the Logan, Tom, and Becky Edwards show soon. Thank you so much for being here. It's great. Bye-bye. Thank you for
2: having us.